Hey, welcome back to the podcast, friends. Yes, it's been a little while, like a month, five weeks. This episode was recorded, I think, six weeks ago. I have another episode that I'm working on editing, and I have another gal who's an author who's coming to the podcast, so I'm excited to interview her. And I want you to meet my friend today, Pastor Ellis Benton. He's planting a church in Florida. So we talk a little bit about his church planting journey. Also, he launched a podcast called the Nazarene Church Planting Podcast. And I will link to that in the show notes. His podcast is all things church planting. So if that's your thing and you're interested, check it out. Um, In this episode, we talk a little bit about different models of church planting. Mostly we talk about his journey Uh, And then also at the end, we spent some time talking about the different ways that you can, the different assessment and training centers that are out there for church planters. So we talk a little bit about DCPI, Stadia, ARC, Fresh Expressions. And so you'll hear a little bit about the pros and cons. I will link to those in uh, the show notes. Also, obviously his podcast as well, and a couple of other books that we talk about. Well, we don't actually talk about any church planting books in this episode, but I'm going to reference some of those that I have used, that he used. And I'll just tell you that most of the church planting books that are out there are specifically written to men, especially men who are like uber extroverted. So I'm going to try to include some different ones in the show notes that maybe you haven't heard of before. Um, Also, if you go to the Fresh Expressions website, they have a lot of resources on their website for church planters um, that you might find helpful. And then since I do talk about resigning uh, in this episode and also the other one, another one that I have recorded. Okay, so here's the thing. And if you go back and listen to my previous episode called That's What She Said, I talk about why I resigned my position. And It was hard enough explaining to people why I felt like God was releasing me. And it's even harder to explain why I unresigned. (laughs) The easiest, the, the simplest thing to say is God really went out of his way to get me to stay. Like he closed so many doors. I, I can't even begin to talk about all the weirdness of this whole thing. So Anyway, I'm on sabbatical for a couple of months. I will uh, be back full-time in January at the place where I've been pastoring for 11 years. So, you know, all that to just say that walking this journey of being a pastor, answering the call to ministry is its own unique animal. I mean, following God anyway is filled with its own unique ups and downs and, I don't know, spiral staircases. Uh, If you're going to follow Christ, uh, he will just take you on an incredible journey. But if he calls you to ministry, I don't know how to explain it unless you're in it. But just when you think you know what God is doing, there's, uh, you know, another surprise around the corner just up ahead. So all that to say, good God bless you. I hope you really enjoy this episode. And I just can't wait to see what 2022 holds. Uh, I'm a little bit nervous. 2020 and 2021 
I feel like, you know, if things come in threes, I don't know that I really want to see what 2022 has to hold, but God will be with us. So enjoy the episode. We've been trying to tell better stories about women and clergy and the church because we really need to tell better stories. Instead of just complaining about it, what if we flood the airwaves with something different? I'm excited about this. Uh, I see that you have ha- you just had my friend Jill on the podcast. Yes, yes, that yeah. was a fantastic conversation. I'm super excited to post it. And I have been working with the audio, trying to get it to a place where it's like good, but sometimes Zoom cuts out and there's nothing you can do about it. So, oh yeah, I hear that. I hear that a couple episodes ago, we had all of these thunderstorms. And so there was oh, all kinds of, and there were a couple of times that we dropped and hit it. And so yeah, there was a ton of editing. I was super but- excited to have Jill on the podcast. She was phenomenal. And I really enjoyed our conversation and she's got a lot of insight as a, not only a church planter, but just as a pastor and an organizational leader. And so um, she was a huge asset, a great voice for that podcast. She's fabulous. I've had her on the podcast twice. So let me know when it's, well, I'm going to link to your podcast anyway, in the sure. show notes for this. So let me know when it releases, cause I want to, I'll, I'll plug her, I'll plug your podcast since you know, my listeners are familiar with her. So they'll yeah. hear it. Definitely. Awesome. Let's just talk about a little bit about you. I know yeah. you're a pastor. How, how long you've been a pastor? Tell me about your call. How did God call you? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in Southern Oregon, Medford, Oregon at a church called Medford First Church of the Nazarene. That's what was its former title. It's now New Life Church of the Nazarene. Family moved to Medford from like the Sacramento area um, of California. Mm. We moved to Medford when I was entering second grade. So I, I say I'm from Medford. I'm actually from California technically, but I grew up in Medford. So I'm a, you know, Oregonian at heart, but we moved there in second grade and my parents went on a search for, for church to be a part of. And, uh, we stuck there because they had a great kids ministry. Um, they didn't have, my parents didn't have a Nazarene background necessarily, but they had a great kids ministry and, um, and we loved it. Me and my brothers loved it. So we stuck around there And uh, by the time I got into, I was super involved in the kids ministry. And then by the time I got into middle school, I had a phenomenal youth pastor who just, um, I would have, I would have called him then. I still call him one of my best friends. You know, he just um, was one of those legendary youth pastors and just believed in me and stuck with me through all my um, silliness as a high schooler. And, and I was very, very lucky to have the same youth pastor from the time I got into middle school to the time I graduated. And then I came back after high school, I I left, I did a gap year program at this place called Hume Lake Christian Camps, where um, I really, really kind of got my calling into ministry back on track. I'd responded to a call to ministry at a Nazarene church camp in ninth grade. Um, I knew God had called me. Yeah, I remember the exact moment. Um, But then I, you know, then I went through high school and, you know, you forget that. And I made, you know, started making really bad choices and stuff like that towards the end. And that gap year program, I wanted to live a life for Christ. I just didn't know how. I just didn't, I was like, what does it look like to be an adult? And especially mm-hmm. as an adult that lives for Christ, it was hard enough as a teenager. I bet it's, you know, I knew it wasn't any easier as an adult. I just wanted to be discipled. And, and that was a really great place. That's where I met my wife um, and uh, totally changed my life. I ended up moving back to Medford about a year after that. And so in 2015, I started, yeah, 2014, 2015, I started volunteering back in the youth group that I grew up in with my youth pastor. And shortly after 
um, we got a new um, lead pastor and he was the type of guy who just believed in young leaders and saw potential. And um, eventually I went from volunteer to intern to then I took my youth pastor's job. <laughs> he actually stepped out of the way uh, to, to let me kind of come up into that position. And so all throughout, just, I was very, very blessed to have a couple of leaders who really believed in me and, and enough to give me some opportunity. And so in 2016, I started full-time as the student pastor at New Life. Um, and I did that until uh, I think in 2019, we started the process of planting that our first campus. And so um, that first year of ministry, I went to a district assembly, felt called to planting at that district assembly. I heard a guy kind of give his report of their church plant that year. And God, in the same way he called me to ministry, called me to church planting. And I remember it very, very vividly. And so, uh, yeah, after that, um, we, we began the process of planting a campus. Um, we did that the last weekend of February, 2020, we finally got that campus launched. This is after another pastoral transition. And so there was a lot of hardship along the way. And we can talk more about that if you want, but it was, uh, it was a really, really hard few years because we really started that process actually in 2018, church planting assessment and all that. And so it was a, it was a couple year process. And by the time that we actually launched it, it was the last weekend of February of 2020. And so we got like two weekends in before COVID hit and then it shifted the landscape so much that the, the campus thing um, is still probably a year or two out for that church. And I'm not there anymore. I'm planting a church now um, in Florida. I, I do want to talk a, a little bit about that second campus, but first yeah. of all, are your parents first generation Christians then? No, they're not. No. So no. they're, yeah, they are. So my dad grew up um, very like fundamental Baptist actually. And like a very, like I was at a fundamental Baptist school, like academy. Yeah. Um, and my mom worked there and, and all that. I know I I'd have to ask them about it, but I know they have a stint in like a Pentecostal church at some point, like all my family lives in Redding, California, which is just a couple hours north of the Sacramento area. Um, and when they first moved down to that area, um, they, they got involved with the Pentecostal church, I think. And so they had a, they had a couple of different, um, things, but both my grandparents on both sides, um, were Christians. My, my dad's side, probably a little bit more fundamental of Baptist. And then on my grandfather, on my mom's side, my grandfather, and they were probably a little bit more on like generally just evangelical reformed side of things. Um, gotcha. And so the Nazarene yeah. church was, was just a move simply for their kids, I think. And then they got involved as well. Yeah. Redding, California. That's where Bethel is, right? That is where Beth Bethel is. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah. you know, you, you don't almost have a choice to be a Pentecostal <laughs> influence there. Yeah. Live in Redding, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's lots. Yeah. I mean, Redding has tons of churches. You're hearing more and more about gap years. I did a huge gap year this because I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, but you know, right. we didn't call them gap years at that time. They were just yeah, like, yeah, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> right? It's more like that. Yeah. I'm like the, the gap year thing I do recommend for young adults to, to not go straight into college, you know, after they graduate, but to do something constructive that isn't necessarily all academic. There was academics involved with it for sure. Like I came out with like 12 credits from Moody. It was like accredited by Moody Bible Institute. And that really didn't help me in the long run. I think uh, a couple of credits transferred to my course of study when I started at um, Nazarene Bible College. But what it did was it just exposed us to what living in community looked like um, and really building community. And, you know, it exposed us to a, a ton of like just great teachers and speakers and 
also great travel and missions and stuff like that. So it just was a year. It was constructive. It wasn't a waste of a year, um, but it totally changed my life. And there's things I look back on it now. I'm like, mm, that probably wasn't the most healthy thing. Um, some of the aspects of it, you know, like I can yeah. look back and be like, okay, it wasn't, it wasn't an it wasn't Nazarene. It wasn't Wesleyan. It was very, very like non-denominational, but very Baptist, which is awesome. I mean, it was, it was great. They, they really did a good job of making it like try to make it like an unbiased theological learning, but the, some of the ways it was a very intense one. Like it was like, we lived, you know, Hume Lake is up at like 6,000 feet up in the mountains and, uh, oh. you know, sits right in between Sequoia National Park and Kings Canyon National Park. So it's beautiful, but I mean, you're living in the middle of nowhere in this mountain <laughs> right? lodge. And so it's very intense because of that. There was very intense rules on um, male, female interaction and, you know, stuff like that. Obviously you're not on phones. You're not watching movies. You make a commitment to not consume any media the entire year. So that entire Whoa. year we had no, I mean, except we could get on like Facebook and stuff and update our, our family and friends, but we weren't listening to music, watching any videos. So it was, it was an intense year for sure. But I do recommend some sort of like, even if you're doing YWAM, if you're doing some sort of gap year, there's tons of them out there now. Like one of the ones I want to do was like the world race. Have you ever heard of that? Mm -mm, um, no. I'm not sure what they're doing these days, but back then when I was looking at it, it was a dream. Basically they have these routes and you go, you travel all the way around the world and it's, it's cool. You should look into it. It's, it's a, it's an yeah. interesting thing for like young adults. Maybe I should do that now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right? What are you going to yes. do with your life, Joanne? Uh, race, race year or whatever. You call it. Right. <laughs> You guys launched, so you were there yeah. when you decided to launch a second campus. That's really interesting. I don't think there's a whole lot of people who have experience launching a separate sure. second campus. Um, in my first assignment where I was, we launched a second service, which is uh, yeah. not like it in some ways, but yeah. it, it was a big deal, you know, just to uh -huh. launch a second service. Just maybe talk a little bit about how did that kind of come about? What was your, as a team... And your senior pastor, your lead pastor. Yeah. What was your strategy and your reasons why, and like how you decide where you're going to do yeah. second campus? Yeah. Yeah. That, that those are great questions. Uh, you know, I think Dale got there in late late 2013, and at that point, in in that region in the Northwest, there there wasn't a ton of you know you can go down to Southern California. There's been multi site campuses. For, for a decade, you know, in, in other places where like the, me the mega church is like big, but we were a church of about, you know, New Life was a church of about 700 to 850. It was always a larger church. But when, when Dale got there, the church didn't really have a, like a, a vision. They were really struggling. What's our next step? What's our, they had built a big building, a big ministry center in that last yeah. decade. And now that that was done, by the time Dale got there, he was really in the right place to bring that church to the next level. And he was the type of leader to do that. And he didn't make necessarily any friends by doing it, but the church grew beyond that kind of 850 cap um, yeah. into the, to the thousand plus range. And that was when we started facing parking issues. So the first thing you face is it's not often seating capacity, right? You can always find more seats or you can move to a second service. But we were at that point, had a, had two services on Sunday and one on Saturday night. So we're a three service church. And so at that point you start thinking about, okay, well, parking capacity at these prime hours are getting less and less. And, you know, statistically, if, if someone drives on your lot and doesn't find a place to park, they're going to drive right off, especially guests, right? If there's no oh, yeah. place to park. And so parking became an issue. 
then the choice then is, okay, so, you know, if you're going to do a second campus, you know, or a satellite venue, you know, those, those, that language was kind of there, but he really laid out the vision for this non-autonomous second church campus. So the, the, the multi-site, so the, the preaching would be video. He was a strong preacher. And then basically you have a leader who can build the team and lead the team and lead the charge for the campus. And it's going to be video preaching, but a live band. So that was the model we went with. And mm-hmm. this was a pretty close handed model. I'll, I'll be honest. And which is good. And statistically the, or the organization we were working with is called Stadia. And what they were recommending was video campus at that time. Um, the video campus was sustainable for a lot of churches doing it. And you could kind of generally pile up these churches who are attempting multi-site, the ones who had kind of autonomous preaching at each campus with a different preacher were less sustainable statistically than the ones who had video preaching. And so, yeah, um, at the time, I don't know where that's at now. I haven't um, talked with anybody who's doing that research and I haven't done it myself. And I would say, so we built, so we built this vision he started talking about it a long time before it ever came to fruition. So basically when he got there, he starts laying the seeds for it. That was the, the name change was a huge part of it, right? We were Medford first church to Nazarene, but Medford kind of sits in the center of this place called the rogue Valley, which with all these other towns around it, you've got Phoenix talent, Ashland, you got Jacksonville, you've got white city, central point, Eagle point. And so very likely we would end up in one of those towns. And so we didn't want to be Medford first church to Nazarene, in Central Point or in right. Eagle Point or in White City, you know, so we were like, okay, hey, we need a, a non-location descript mm-hmm. name. And that was the whole reason behind the name change. And then we built this playbook that was like, this is how each ministry is going to operate. And it was very complicated. It took a long time. So the, the benefits of having video preaching is you get a leader who doesn't have to spend that 15 to 25 hours a week, depending on, you know, the sermon or whatever in the office or on the computer writing. I mean, that takes mm-hmm. a lot, that takes a lot from the pastoral care and the leadership and the discipleship that that leader can be doing. So that's a huge benefit in video preaching. And I think some places would benefit, you know, from that model. For me, I'm like, if it's just situational, if you have a leader who's a good, pre- who is ready in the leadership sense of it, that could lead a campus, but they're not a preacher, then do video preaching. If you've got a leader who's ready in the leadership sense, and can preach, send them to go preach, like do that, you know, um, because I think one of the hard things, you know, for us was I was on the preaching and teaching team. So I would preach um, regularly. Our congregation liked my preaching. You know, they, they liked me as a preacher. They liked me as a teacher. Their big question was, why aren't you preaching? And so we had to really sell that vision, which I think I probably could have preached there. Now we never would have known because it never came, you know, we didn't make it past three weeks because of COVID, but that was our model. It was our model for multiplying, reproducing, heavily influenced by the exponential conference in the church planting movement at large in Christianity in America, like non-autonomous video preaching campus. It's interesting to find out or to hear that idea of the video preaching, because my first thought would be, it would be harder to connect with someone preaching via video than live. Yeah. And we have here in Michigan, there's a Woodside Bible Church, they have several campuses and they they have a different preacher at each site, but they all preach the same message. So like yeah. the main pastor writes the sermon oh, yeah. and gives it to them. And then like, here's your sermon. I'm like, 
I, there's no way I'd want to do that. I'm like, sure. either I write my own sermon or you just, you know, beam your message yeah. into my congregation. Yeah. There is so many different ways you can go about it, right? There is a yeah. church here. It's called, um, and I really like the pastor. His name is Brandon Bruce from Church Experience here. And he's in the like Dunedin, Clearwater area, just kind of in the Tampa Bay area. But they're launching crazy amounts of churches. And and they're doing the autonomous preaching thing. They're all church experience, but it's kind of this hybrid between an autonomous church and uh, campus, but it still is kind of autonomous, but they're heavily connected. And that's where you start getting into, especially with non-denominational churches, these network churches, right? Right. Where it's it's not a denomination and they're not in and they are autonomous, but they're not. They are they're still heavily connected, heavily influenced by this sending church. Um, there's a couple examples. There's another one that they just la- launched in Tampa, it, it, Grace City in Lakeland. Um, they're like a, they're part of the Hillsong Family Church. They they do things obviously with exceptional quality and, and they've been, they, they're a good church. And so what they did was they recruited a church planter, brought him out, him and his family out. They were kind of resident on staff building this team for six months to a year. I don't really know how long. And then they sent him to plant in Tampa. So the reason they did that was, A, they had a group of people in Tampa already who would drive to Lakeland, which that's about an hour plus drive. They would drive all the way to Lakeland um, just to go to Grace City. And so like, okay, we've got this group of people and let's go plant a church out there. The the core team is there. So now you're bringing a a gifted church planter. That's not a parachute plant. Okay. That's the opposite of a parachute plant. They're coming into a built system and they've got built-in leaders. Hey, we're looking at this person to go with you for worship. We're looking at this person to go with you for kids. Here's your budget. Go and lead this thing. So you're taking this talented leader, setting them up for success. It's going to be a success. Mm -hmm. They're using the same brand. They don't have to worry about branding, you know, paying for that type of stuff because it's all built into the existing church budget. Yet that planter is preaching teaching they're going to have their own church board so it's going to largely be autonomous but it's so heavily networked with the sending right. church that it's it, it takes out a lot of those initial pains of planting where like for us when we planted we were brought out by our district and the district is supporting us some financially but this has been a lonely lonely season for us because we came we moved to a city where we didn't know one person mm-hmm and then we're, we're digging this thing out from the ground. We're trying to meet people. We're doing all the things. Now we got to worry about branding. We got to worry about building a website. We got to about, worry about finding a worship leader and a kid's leader and all these things that that church planter didn't have to worry about because of the model of church planting. You see what I'm saying? Right. And so I think, I think it's a great model. Um, and there's lots of churches that are starting to do that. Yeah. And so I would say in Medford, what we did, it was similar. We had a group of people in the area that we planted that campus. It was, it was the largest area outside of our central hub. So how did you end up pulling back? They're going to, they're going to relaunch their campus, whatever I'm guessing at some point. So in the meantime, sometime between February of 2020 and now you're (laughs) like, I'm going to go to Florida and plant a church. (laughs) Yeah. So your guess is good as mine, man. I just woke up and I was here. I'm just kidding. Um, You know, so about right now. And the, the best way I've found to say this is just the landscape shifted right, right beneath our feet. What was once a fertile place for us to plant and to be as a, as a family and as a pastor and as planters 
the, the landscape just shifted on us. And there was like a little landslide, you know, there was going to be a pivoting. So that last Sunday, I think it was that first or second week in March was our last Sunday with the campus. Um, and we didn't know, right. We thought it was going to be two weeks, you know, then right? it was a month. Didn't we all? <laughs> right. And then it was two months. And then, you know, um, that May I was, you know, May of 2020, I was supposed to be ordained that year. I got, I worked really, really hard. We were supposed to host district assembly at our church. And that's why I worked so hard. And so then I dealt with that huge grief. Cause I mean, I worked, I worked extra hard to be able to get ordained that year. I should have been ordained the next year, but you know, got a lot of that work done so I could get ordained at my home church. That didn't happen. The campus wasn't happening. So I was pretty distraught in May of 2020. I was like, God, what are you doing? What is going to happen? Like that is kind of when I knew that's kind of when God revealed to me where I got a sense from the spirit that we weren't going to be in Medford for very much longer. And even at the, at, on the best day with the campus, I had this vision inside my soul to go and plant a, a church, like an autonomous church, not a campus, you know, and in the best way, a stepping stone for me, uh, not a rung on the ladder, more of a, a rock in the creek that you're trying to pass, you know, like, so it's not necessarily to get higher and better. It's just, I mean, it's just another step in the trail for me. And it was a, it was, you know, as a young leader, you know, I'm very young, very green in a lot of ways. It was a great way for me to get some experience that wasn't going to be what I'm doing now. It, it was less gravity to it, had less gravitas to it um, with the campus because I was attached to community. I, I had some safety nets and then I just started paying attention. No one else knew that, right? My wife was not there. Uh, the new lead pastor who's phenomenal, Ryan Emmerich, he, he was not thinking that way. The board was not thinking that way. It wasn't until July, I had this phenomenal kids ministry director. She's the type of person who's the magnet there's there i know there are dozens and dozens of families who are still connected to that church because of her she just loves families she just loves kids um she loves parents and uh she was my kids director i mean it was just such a gift to even have that quality of leader and to be partnered with and in july she was like i can't keep taking a paycheck from the church we're not doing anything right like and we couldn't you know i had switched to at that time, we were trying to do like house churches. So I mm -hmm. kind of switched my own focus to like, hey, I'll try to get some house churches going. And we did. We got about like 18 house churches going. And that was really great. But there was, it still wasn't full time for me. You know, it was not full time work. And so I felt very similarly. I'm like, what am I doing? You know, I'm getting paid full time. Giving is going down. I'm not doing that much. And so I started feeling all this guilt and shame around it. And then when she came and said, I I'm going to resign that was kind of like the last chip to fall for me. And that's when I started really kind of contending with God about what, what was next and started being a little bit, you know, open about it with uh, our lead pastor and saying, Hey man, you know, this is what I'm thinking. And then I, I called my mentor, my friend, my old lead pastor, the one who started us on the campus, Dale Schaefer. He's the district superintendent here in, for the uh, Florida district. And I called him because I started that project with him. And it wasn't a call for a job, I promise you. It was more of a call for like, this is where I'm at. And I just want you to know that. And I'd also want your wisdom. And by the end of the conversation, he was like, well, I mean, would you be willing to look at some stuff in Florida? Like we've got some projects, some, you know, that I'd love to get off the ground. I'd love a church planter for. And so he flew us out. And, uh, and what he's doing um, on the district is, is kind of uh, the strategy of where there's like churches that have massive amounts of debt 
or you know, but very, very low membership, like under 10 people, you know, this massive amount of building debt. And he's deactivating those churches and then sending a planter in to start a new work. So that's how, that's how we got out here was we came, we looked, there was two spots. One of them was um, a place called New Smyrna Beach. It was kind of a clear no for me in my gut. I just felt it was a no, but then Brandon, where we're at now, um, outside of Tampa wasn't, that's all it was. It wasn't a no. <laughs> and, um, and so we prayed about it and said yes. And so, um, man, it was, and I'll tell you, I did not necessarily want to move to Florida. Never in my ever, I mean, Florida, and I've, I've never given a thought to Florida, um, until Dale moved here, quite honestly, I was like, what are you doing? You know, why would you leave the Northwest? You know? Um, and, you know, I really didn't, uh, like in the ecosystem, like talking about the ecosystem, I didn't want to live here. Like I was like, I need to be in the mountains. I ride mountain bikes. I like to hike and backpack and do those things. And, and so it was a big, it was a big change. And I had to really let go a lot of a lot of personal preference. And I did, I did call other districts like the Washington, the WAPAC district and places I like wanted to live, like of my own personal preference. And it just wasn't there. It just there, you know, the, in terms of being on the same page with a DS and like with similar visions for church planting and and stuff like that. So there was just a lot of synergy going on um, with this project. And so felt like it was the right move. Florida would not be at the top of my list of places to move either, but it's, it's funny because uh, we, we were in uh, Birmingham, Alabama for a training, like pretty, pretty directly after that. And when we told people we were moving to Florida, everyone's like, what? No way. We're jealous. It's like telling, it's like telling people on the West coast, you're going to plant a church in Hawaii. Right? <laughs> like, you know, because people on the West coast don't in my, like in my experience, don't necessarily think of Florida as like their vacation spot. They think of like Southern California or Hawaii. And yeah. so we're like their beachy vacation spot. And so, but people in the, on the, on the East coast and like the South, like they think of Florida as their like vacation yeah so yeah yeah Michigan yeah that's where you're, everybody's gonna retire yeah half the people in Florida are from Michigan <laughs> yeah. yeah Florida is like the only thing worse than you know pastoring in Florida would be like Louisiana so I'm like, <laughs> yeah but, you it's know. you know what I'm I'm still I'm there's a lot of things I do like about the Tampa area especially I do like Tampa um and I do like this area there you know there are some things I like about it um it's just an adjustment and I just have to I'm still in the season of, I always wished I was the church planter who was like, God has called us here. And we have known this. We knew this the second we stepped foot, you know, and I've never had that experience. I wish I did. I'm still, it's honestly like a, a discipleship issue for me. Like I'm just praying that God will continue to give me the love for the people and the love for the area. Um, Cause you need that to plant a church. Like you need a love the people. Mm, and so yes. I'm praying for a love and a, a burden. And I have a burden for all people. I do. I love people, you know, but there is something about, you know, falling in love with your region, or at least, you know, having a, a major burden that sustains you for the people of the community. And, and so I'm still praying through that for sure. Well, you will, uh, as someone who just resigned from their 11 year church plant, wow. uh, it's, uh, you do fall in love with them very much. And yeah, but, you know, and I think that, you know, God knows how we hear him best. And so there does seem to be a rhythm in our lives where he tends to speak to us and reveal his will in similar ways. 
But then there's a lot of times where it's very different. And like this, this process for me for resigning was Mm. very different from the, from how I heard him calling me, you know? And so, you know, I think it's good for us, you know, as we follow Christ to just stay open to the fact that he, he doesn't, he, he doesn't always speak to us the same way. Um, you know, we don't always have the same sure. revel, you know, same type of re- revelation and that we just need to com- continue to stay open to the spirit and mentors yeah. are huge, huge. Uh-huh. And one of the other things that, um, right, right before I was coming out, um, me and my buddy or my buddies drove down actually from Medford to Reading with me. And there's a great, great mountain biking trail that we love in Reading, me, me and my buddies. And so they were going to kind of see me off and we we're going to do one last ride um, before I was going to stay with some family that night and they were going to head back. But so I, and I remember specifically, I'm on this trail on the climbing section of the trail because there's actually hills, you know, over there, there's no hills here. Um, we don't have hills in Michigan. Either, so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm on the climb and, you know, I'm a decent, decent bit of cardio to get up the hill. You know, and I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I'm in that spot where I'm excited, but I'm also grieving, you know, this last time with my closest friends and remember God just spoke to me and it's like, I'm answering your prayers. I'm answering your prayers that you prayed when you were 16, you were angsty, you were, you know, a sophomore in high school. And I do, and I, I got this glimpse of, of walking through my sophomore year. It was a miserable year for me as a high schooler. And I just prayed and I wanted just to like go be a missionary. And I wanted to just like move. You know, I, I remember there was these missionaries who came to our church from Poland who like had this like co- cool coffee shop, church plant ministry in Poland. I'm like, that's what I want to do. God, and, and I, you know, I wanted to get stamps on my passport and I wanted to travel and I, and I wanted adventure and new, and I wanted all these things. And so I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And I'm like, God is still answering my prayers from the young angsty teenage Ellis. Like I I prayed for this. I prayed for God to help me live a life where I lived it for him, but I got to do really cool things and go to new places that I never dreamed of going. And no, I never dreamed of coming to Florida, but it's been the adventure of a lifetime at the same time. And God has opened these doors. It's like, you know, we pray prayers and then they don't happen, right? The answers don't happen. Like God did not take me out of my sophomore year and pluck me, you know, from, you know, North Medford High School and put me in, you know, Brazil or, you know, like all these places I wanted to go. Instead, it's been a long journey of discipleship and a long journey of saying yes and being obedient and being faithful. Then he answers prayers. And, and it's this continuation of as my, as I've grown and matured in Christ and been discipled in Christ, you know, he continues just to guide us. And, and I truly believe we're here. You know, sometimes you question on my dark days. I, I question if this was all a mistake and if, you know, I'm going to waste everybody's time and money, you know, but I think on my good days, I'm like, man, God is in it, you know, and I know, and, and I just want to be faithful to what he's called, called us to. And it's really, really hard. It's hard on my family. You know, it's hard on my wife and in it, but it, at the same time, God is going to, God is going to use it. Even if one person comes to a life uh, changing relationship with Jesus it's worth it. That in your mind, my husband would say, uh, he, he would constantly say, well, you know what, if we are only doing it for, and he, you know, he usually name a couple of people in our church. What if we're only doing it for so-and-so? What if we're only doing it for so-and-so? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's true. And we do have to get to that place. We have to get to that place where we're like, 
if this person is is the only person that I went to Christ, then it was worth being yeah. obedient. And I've I've heard some crazy stories about that where like you get the one and then from that one person, you know, movements start, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. tons of churches get planted. And so, you know, I think for me, <clears throat> I am doing this. Um, and we, I know that um, we kind of want to talk about a little bit more about models of church planting yeah. too, but I'm doing this model of, of this large launch that comes with a lot of pressure. You know, the large launch is the model where you want to on launch day have 200 people or more yeah. at, at your first service, because the, the idea is the statistics around that are no matter, no matter what kind of church plant you are, even if you're, even if you're the top tier, the most well-funded, you know, the the second Sunday you're going to drop by half in attendance. Yep. Like it's just the, it is just the doldrums for like the next eight weeks. You're going to drop by half and then you'll fluctuate from there and you'll slowly start to build back up once the pilgrims see, okay, that thing's legit. And then, and then people will start to come to your church. I, again, we started out here. We didn't know a soul. We didn't know a person. <laughs> like we had one connection with, um with one person and, you know, now I look at it at our first interest meeting that we had on August 28th, we had close to 15 people out. I wanted it to be 50, but it's 15. And, you know, I'll probably have 10, you know, on set, we have our next one on Saturday. I'll probably have that same amount, 10 to 15. And I want it to be 50. I want it to be 80. I want to be the guy who blows it up. You know, selfishly, that's what I want. Um, mm-hmm. Man, God is just, he's going to bring the right people at the right time. And uh, there is a crazy story. So my yeah. best friend growing up, lifelong friends. He was the best man in my wedding. So he was adopted by a family in our, in our church. He, you know, never, he never really knew his biological family on his dad's side. And uh, so we, we do our interest meeting. These people show up and they're an older couple, you know, 65 plus uh, couple, and they're super nice. And, and I'd kind of known it. They, they've been giving to our church since um, February. I was like, what, you know, Hey man, it's been great to meet you. Like I've been wanting to meet you for a long time. I I messaged them on Facebook. was like, I'd love to get dinner sometime. It never worked out. So, but they came to our interest meeting and she goes, Oh, you know, we're Nazarenes. And uh, you know, I know Craig Wrench and Craig Wrench was the pastor um, uh, to in Medford. Like, so there was uh, Craig Wrench, uh, David Grinder, Dale Schaefer, and then now Ryan Emmerich. So he, so it was a little bit before my time, but obviously I know who he is. Like, oh yeah, so you know I'm from Medford, right? And like, oh yeah, I know you're from Medford. I've got a secret, a little secret about Medford. And um, I'm like, oh yeah, like that, you know, what's that? You know, she, and she kind of said, oh, I know who you are. I know who you are, Ellis. And I'm like, well, you know, a little taken back. And she goes, I'm your best friend's grandma. That's my grandson. That's my biological grandson. And they just made contact. He actually told me last time I was in Medford in April that he made contact with his, with his biological dad. It was just this mind-blowing thing. I'm like, what? And, and his biological dad lives in St. Pete, St. Petersburg, which is just across the bay. And now his grandparents, my childhood best friends, his, his biological grandparents are on my launch team. Man, if that isn't God, I, I that is just the craziest thing. So we have been like... It's so great. It's so amazing. And it's so messy. Church planning is so messy. And you, you, you do have to have a, a heart for people who are just struggling to find, you know, right from left and up from down and be willing to get in there and get messy. And I've done the hospital runs and prison runs and bail people out of jail. And, but you know, that's what, that's what we're supposed to do. That's right. 
So I'll be praying that, you know, you get to bail somebody out of prison soon. So Thank <laughs> you. That's a great prayer to pray. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, every church planner should have at least one of those stories, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to just seeing where this, um, where this all goes and the people that we're going to meet. I'm just praying that, yeah, that we don't, I mean, that's, that's the prayer of the church planter, right? Is that we don't just get a bunch of Christians who hopped from another church. Right. Obviously everyone's welcome. You know, obviously you need some Christians to, to on your launch team to help disciple, you know, to be disciplers, you know, but that we don't, that's not all we get, you know, that, that we get people who, who need Jesus and, uh, who can, you know, come into a life-giving relationship with him and, and have their lives be changed. You know, there was this uh, one gal who was going to come to our last interest meeting and she didn't show up. And, you know, there's a lot of people who didn't. And so as we started, you know, advertising for our next one, she messaged back and said, Hey, I'm, I'm sorry. I wasn't there. I was in a horrible car accident the day before. And I was just kind of like, oh, man, like, I was just like, man, like, you know, you, you could have called me, you know, I want you to know from now on, you can call us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, anything you need will be there. You know, it's just like, man, if, what if she would have had a church to walk through that with her, you know, yeah. but if she would have some, some people who love Jesus and, and have nothing that we want from her, we just want to serve her. Um, I'm just, I'm praying that God continues to open those doors for sure. Yeah. But you know, they don't know. I think that that's the hardest yeah. part. I like, I don't know how many times I've had to tell, you know, my previously unchurched members, like, you're supposed to call me if you end up in the hospital. Like you're like, that's yeah. part of this whole thing. You know, you're supposed to call me if you lose your job so that I can yeah. talk you through it and pray with you over the phone and, um, and teaching them about this idea that, Hey, you have a network now that you have, that you're in this yeah. church and we, we have a whole culture and generation, a couple of generations now of people who they don't know how that's how it works. And yeah, I think that's the, that is the lost art of the church. That is yeah. the art that we have lost and we, we need to reclaim that so much. It's the church plants, you know, church planners like you who are helping to reestablish those ideas. There is, there is another statistic out there that says, you know, um, more, more people are more likely to come to faith in a church plant, a new start oh, than, yeah. than in an existing church. I always think about that because it sounds pretty arrogant as a church planter to say that, you know, oh, well, we're going to have more people come to fit. And it's like, oh, I don't know that, you know, I don't know if that's actually going to happen. That's just the, that's just the statistic or even the saying, you know, is that the, that's kind of the common belief, but here's, as I've been a church planter, here's why I think that is. It's because literally we are forced to be intentionally evangelistic and intentionally in our community we don't have an office. We don't have, you know, we don't have uh, a, a church building. We don't have, we don't have these things. So we are literally forced to, to be in the community. We have to do events for people to know us, know about us. We want to be missional and in our community. And so it's like, we are given a hand where that's the only thing that you can do. Right. Is go meet people who don't know Jesus. Like that is the job. And so where, where pastors of, of existing churches and where existing churches kind of fall into this, they have those desires. It's not like those desires aren't there. It's not like those, those, uh, you know, that missiology isn't, it's not absent necessarily. Instead, they're, they have to deal with building maintenance and they have to deal with a bunch of staff or, you know, wonky members who are, are going sideways on them. And, you know, and especially in this climate, you know, like, you know, they're, they're dealing with, 
you know, masks or no masks or dealing with all these things that they didn't have to used to deal with that are dividing their membership, dividing their congregation. And, and so instead of being intentionally evangelistic, they're trying to manage what exists. And, I, and that's what I feel like the, the church in the last couple of decades has, you know, fallen into a management, you know, because you look back at the first generation Nazarenes, even like if you've ever read um, uh, our watchword and song, dude, the, the first generation Nazarenes were insane church planters, weren't they? I insane know. church planters, like one of my favorite stories, I by no means read the whole book. Okay, I'm gonna be honest. But one of the one of the, uh, you know, NBC is gonna hear this and be like, okay, you got to retake the class. Uh, but one of my favorite stories from that, um, from that book, and I don't even remember the, the, the superintendent's name, but he was a, in the Oklahoma area. And the reason the, the Oklahoma districts are the way they are right now is because he planted so many churches. So this guy was a bivocational district superintendent who was just planting insane amounts of churches. And he did it because he was a photographer. And so he would go around to these rural communities and take family portraits for people. He'd get in their home, he'd get in their life, he'd start to talk to them, and he would plant churches everywhere he went. Everywhere he'd go take pictures, these family portraits, he was planting churches. Oh, if that isn't the coolest story of church. And there was stories like that all over, all over in the first generation Nazarenes. And then what happened was, you know, then the next couple of generations, you know, these, these, these really on fire Nazarenes, they built up these big ministries and these big churches and this big movement. And then it became our responsibility to maintain those and to, and to manage those and to not, you know, not let those fall. And so we, so these next generations then kind of fell into the, this management mode instead of the plant, instead of the moving forward mode that, you know, our predecessors kind of did to even make the, Nazarene church, this global movement that it is today in this global denomination. Church planting is definitely one of the hardest and illogical things that you can do in ministry. It doesn't make right. sense on paper because there's this whole aspect called the Holy Spirit that really has to move. And you can't write yep. that down necessarily. You can't be like, okay, well, I, you, on a spreadsheet, you can't be like, okay, well, this is going to be 80% me, 20% the spirit. You know, the spirit's going to move right here. You know, we know that literally all of it has to be spirit led. Um, one of the, one of the main, uh, first things that, um, our church planting says, and I didn't know how crucial this was until I got on the ground. The, one of the first things they say is that you got to win the war and the spiritual. And, and I generally don't like the language of war anyway. Like it doesn't really right. resonate with me, um, personally, but I will say since I've been here and especially on my like darkest, most depressing days, just feeling like, you know, what are we doing? You know, I, it truly has been a battle to get out of bed. It's been a battle to get into the community. It's been a battle to order what I need to order and, you know, plan what I need to plan. You know, you have to stay rooted in the spirit or else this thing just doesn't, it's not going to work. You're out doing something that's crazy. And so that's why I wanted to start the, the podcast is because there is a group of people who know, who know that. And we should rally together and it should be easy to connect with one another. And right now in the Nazarene church, at least here in, in the USA, Canada region, it's not that easy to get connected. You know, it's not that easy to, to know what's going on in terms of church planting. Um, and I think it should be easier and I want to make it a little easier. So that's why I started that, that podcast and that group in hopes that we could unite as people who care about planting churches and, and new movements, you know, mm -hmm. um, and different types of church plants, micro churches, house churches, dinner churches, fresh expressions and, and large launches and multi-site and district church plant. Let's talk about it all 
you said something about this, you know, the idea of the spirit. And I think there's a certain amount that, you know, once you're an established church, especially if you're a larger church and there's money, you know, if you're upper yeah. middle class, there's a lot of stuff you can do and you don't really have to rely on the spirit. But if you're planning a church, you really that is need so to rely true. Spirit, you know, oh my gosh. You're- and it's hard to admit. It's hard to admit that as, as someone who's been on staff at a large church, man, you've got, I, I just remember like I had so much resource that I took for granted thousands of dollars of recording equipment, you know, video equipment, just sitting, you know, just for my use, whenever whole storages and closets full of grills and propane tanks and tents and chairs and tables. Like I'm, I'm texting people all over the place right now. Do you have any round tables? I need round tables and I don't want to go spend, you know, a thousand dollars on round tables and, you know, oh my goodness. And, but you just can do all that because all the resources there. So you don't need to rely on the spirit. Sorry. No, you don't, you don't, you know, I, I came from a large church. That was my first assignment for six years. I was pastor of outreach and evangelism. And I'm like all these resources. And then my husband and I started a Taekwondo ministry and that's cool. Yeah, we grew up from like seven to 70 and I, and I kind of like became their pastor. And I've like, I looked at my husband and I'm like, you know, maybe we should just plant a church because <laughs> we so basically good. just did, you know, and, and, but even then, once you get out there, I'm like, oh, this better be, this better be God leading me because yeah, yeah, all those resources were gone. And I had, you know, I had a lot of people who came in, sure. I mean, my seat, my lead pastor was like totally supportive and all that stuff, but yeah, you're still yeah where are we going to meet and who's going to show up and who's going to, who's going to count the offering and all those little things, all those things. So we, yeah, we've definitely had to navigate all of that. And it is, there's so many logistics and there's just a lot of money to raise and there's a lot on the line. You just feel like there's just a lot of pressure. So to anyone who's listening, who is interested in planting a church um, and feels a call to it, it's definitely a calling that's worth your time to Mm -hmm. think about and to pray about. Um, and it's definitely, if I, if I had any recommendation for a church planter is just to slow down, slow down, don't slam on the brakes and don't talk yourself out of it, but just slow down in the process. Because I think I felt so much urgency and this is just my personality anyway, it's just get it done, get it done, get it done. Um, moving fast. And, and some of that is a lot of arrogance that God is this year, especially since, since February, I've realized how arrogant I was through the process of getting out here. Um, and I wish I would have slowed down. I wish I would have taken a little bit more time to think through some things. I'm young and there's some arrogant arrogance and being young and wanting to do as much as I can while I'm young. So I can, so I can say, you know, when I'm, you know, a little older, be like, Oh, I did all that by the time I was 26 or 27, you know, gross that I'm admitting that right now, but it's just, I mean, there's just stuff like that, that like, that's honestly where I was at. And so I rushed the process and didn't think through some of the resources that we might need and that I could have attained if I would have just slowed down, get yourself oriented, get yourself uh, a group of people who are praying for you and who are behind you and, uh, and, and really just take your time. Cause it, it will happen. That is so true. I, I agree with you hundred percent. Slow down. Yeah. You know, some of us, some of us are, you know, you're, we're just a little more, you know, especially if you have like, a, if you're, especially if you want to plant a church, yeah. Well, if you have, but if you're achiever at, 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 in any kind, you know, capacity, uh, yeah, you're out there, you want to start, you know, laying groundwork and 
most of us need to slow down just a little bit. Also, you know, and I'm sure you're finding this out even now, uh, this is a marathon. It is not a sprint. So if you're going to make it, you know, if you're going to make it 11 years, right, you're going to need to slow it down a little bit. Yeah. I I think that's one thing is, you know, slow it, slow it down enough so people can come with you because we are, you know, as, as leaders and as church planters, especially we are fast moving. We see, we see the vision so far out and Mm -hmm. other people just can't see the vision as far out as you can. And I think that's been one of my, um, that's been one of my worst probably mistakes that I've made is, and that's what I kind of mean when there were some resources. I mean, people, I wish I could have slowed down enough to invite some people who could have actually made the move with us. Mm -hmm. I think that would have changed the game for us. Even if one couple or one person came out to be a part of, of this with us, but we just wanted to get it done. We, we had a timeline. We want to stick to that timeline, you know, but we were so forward thinking that we didn't even think about who we wanted to ask. You know, the idea of that vision, I saw that you've posted in your Facebook group of, you know, like whatever advice as a church plan or whatever, because we have the burning bush experience, right? Sure. So the vision is like burned on our retina. Like we <laughs> see it, you know, yeah. we know exactly where we're going and what we're doing. Like even just trying to explain it to other people, they're like, what are we going to do now? And I had two or three different people when we were, when we first started planning, I went around two other planters were friends of mine. And I'm like, tell me what, you know, and all of them said that same thing of you have to keep telling the vision over and over again, yeah. because you've had the experience, but they have not had that experience yet. And so you yeah. just have to keep repeating it so that Absolutely. it's burned into their soul, you know, like it is yours. And, and I just, you know, and then you, and then you got to take that principle as you continue to cast vision for people who are just showing up and just meeting you, because not only do you have to meet people, but then they got a lot, then you got to get to know them enough where they like you. So they'll follow you. I mean, it's a ridiculous process, but you know, that's, that's where the spirit comes in. It's got to be spirit led. Different. There's different groups that will assess and train you to plant churches. Yeah. Now I I'm familiar with DCPI, which is mm-hmm. Dynamic Church Planning International, because they've been, they've been connected with our denomination. Yeah, they've been doing Nazarene stuff. Yeah, I've gone through that, and I'm also a trainer with okay. them, a master trainer with them. Talk about some of the other ones you're familiar with. What, what did you use for your for your training and stuff? Yeah, so I originally got assessed with um, Stadia Church Planting. If you're a woman um, who wants to be the lead pastor of a church plant, you know Stadia, I would recommend. Even if you're a single woman, Stadia, I would recommend, and they're probably the only people I'd recommend for you other than like strictly, you know, Nazarene or Wesleyan um, run assessment, right? Mm -hmm. So, so some districts do have, are now doing their own assessments apart from DCPI. I don't, you know, obviously DCPI was working. I don't know a ton about DCPI, I'll be honest. Um, You know, so do that too. If, if, you know, Joanne, you'll know better than me, um, if they'll, um, affirm a single woman uh, clergy to plant. Um, but most outside of these, these ones, most church planting organizations will not. Um, so if you're a single woman listening, if you're a, a, a woman clergy um, and you want to plant a church, Stadia will work with you. Um, they're phenomenal. They work with all sorts of people. I remember we were at a, our assessment. This, this one guy could not wrap his head around that there was, there was um, female leaders there. Uh, you know, that there was uh, women there who were the lead pastors of the church they were going to plant. 
and he could not and so they had to like talk to him audibly like they corrected him audibly you know in front of everyone several times so i really respect them in that way they assess people from all sorts of different denominations but it's it's intense i mean they basically make you plant a church in like two days <laughs> they want it all and they it's a little bit like have you ever seen like like a cooking show like master chef or something oh, like yeah. that it's kind of like that where they are and that's what i love about them and to me what gives them credibility is the fact that they don't really pull any of their punches. Mm -hmm. They're not there to affirm your, your call to ministry. They're there to affirm or not affirm your call to church planting. You know, your minister, your pastor, you've been successful. That's why, you know, you, you have this calling. That's why you're here. Right. And we are going to tell you whether you should or should not plant a church based on our proven tools. And any assessment center is going to be like that. They have proven tools. They have proven statistics. Um, they have a, they have a rate of success or, you know, unsuccess. And so um, Stadia, they're not going to really pull any punches. They're going to be really honest with you through the whole thing, through each project, through each assessment. They're going to be really honest with you about what you did right or wrong. Um, but ultimately they're just looking at your situation and can you plant a church and be healthy and not burn out a ministry. And they don't want to see that, you know, and we want to see healthy churches get planted. So they run you through a psych assessment. They run you, you know, they're making sure that mentally, people with mental illness have that either managed or have a plan to manage it um, mm -hmm. before they plant, you know? So, and I think we should do that, honestly should do that for ordination that people oh, yeah. who, you know, like that we should be doing psych assessments and seeing where you're at. Can we test for narcissism? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> right? well, and, yeah. And, and they do. And like, and they help you acknowledge it. And it's like, it's fine. If you have some narcissistic tendencies, let's work through them. Let's get them from right? the blind spot to the yeah. weakness so we can start working on the weakness and they're not they're gonna they're gonna let you know they're gonna let you know if you're a narcissist so it's it's a great assessment i'm also planting through arc i thought you yeah. mentioned them tell me about yeah. arc so arc is association of related churches they are trying to become more interdenominational it seems like they're starting to work with the wesleyan church they're starting to work some with the nazarene church you know uh, a lot of because dale is sending a lot of people um who's the district superintendent in florida you know, he's sending some people. I know there's an Arc Church, Arc Nazarene Church in, um, you know, on the South Florida district. And so they're starting to work interdenominationally. I, I will say they will not affirm, uh, a, you know, a single woman. as a, They won't affirm a single person. So if you're a man okay. or a woman, they won't affirm. They, they, they only affirm dynamic uh, couples, they say, you know, dynamic church planting couples. That's a limiting factor. And then, you know, and then they're pretty classic evangelical you know, they're not necessarily Wesleyan in thought. Um, there's some things that they, they are probably a little bit more Wesleyan than say, uh, you know, the Send Network or, you know, NAM. Acts 29. <laughs> Acts, tw um, Acts 29, <laughs> you know, right? Like, like if you're Wesleyan at all, I would not go to those ones. Not that they right. don't do great church plants. You're not going to really fit. You know, I, I wouldn't fit, you know, um, in, in some of those ones, but I, I am making it work with ARC. There's some things that it's some ARC churches that I'm like, you know, I wouldn't do what they're doing, but you get all, and that's the thing. It's non-denominational. So you get all right. these different types of theology, all encompassing an ARC. And that's where we have to be. That's where we have to be truly Wesleyan and say in, mm -hmm. in essentials, um, unity and non-essentials, uh, liberty and all things love right? and all things charity, you know? So it's like, just because there's an ARC church doing that doesn't mean I have to disassociate with ARC. They care about church plants and they care about church planters. They are going to have some financial backing for you and they have great resources. And that network is a serious, serious network. Um, so if you run their model, you run their play, 
chances are you're going to launch a large church. Um, and so it's, they are the large launch model. If you do a, a workshop, a DCPI training out of the Nazarene church yeah, and it's led on a district, uh, I think it's very women friendly and it's very single pastor friendly. Okay. Now yeah. I, I tried to do, I was doing a updating my training when last year during the virtual thing and it was being led by one of their key leaders, which I think was Baptist or whatever. Okay. And it was, it was not, even though there were several of us on there who had already planted or it was not women, it was not women clergy friendly at all. Every reference to pastor was male was and he, like, him, yeah, yeah, he, and they just like, they totally just refused to even acknowledge you. So if you're a woman or a single person, I would recommend you do it, you know, find a master trainer that's in your denomination mm. and do it that way. Um, now, fresh expressions would be the opposite. Fresh expressions is going to yeah. be most of their church planning stuff is going to be smaller because they're doing. Yeah different expressions. So micro churches, home churches, whatever, cafe churches, that kind of stuff. And they're women clergy friendly. Yeah, so. absolutely. And I've just gotten to know of them um, in the last several months. And I'm, I'm very, very intrigued. And, and I see myself doing uh, some of what they do in the future, for sure, and, and trying to plant some fresh expressions. Because that that is, I, I just, I love them. And I don't know a ton about them. I've just been around a couple of their leaders. Um, our district, the Florida district has brought them in for a couple different trainings. Um, I think her name is um, Chris Becker. Yeah, she's coming on the podcast she, in a few weeks. Oh, yeah. awesome. She yeah. she spoke at our district assembly and it was like phenomenal. Like she was amazing. And then uh, Michael, I think his name is Michael Beck. They're both United Methodists, but they came and did a training on fresh expressions for the mm -hmm. Florida district. It was just like, it just gets me so excited. So right? I love what they're doing. Yeah. I'm really intrigued by it. I want to do something like that. Right now I'm doing this large launch. I see Just Church, which is my church, launching some some micro churches or some, you know, fresh expressions churches yeah. out of it. So yeah, the fresh expression stuff gets me all keyed up. And now more than ever, we're going to need to find different ways to... I'm telling you. Yeah, I, I think we're on the last leg of the, of the large launch. The ARC folks might might disagree with me, you know, because they're seeing success all over. It's not accessible to everyone. I think that's my, um, and it costs a lot of money. It's not accessible to everyone. The large launch costs a lot of money. Those are my two big criticisms of the large launch mm -hmm. is the finances it takes is absolutely for most is insurmountable. I mean, I just, I don't know how the average church planter can raise that much money. I don't, you know, I wouldn't be able to do it apart from I'm on a district that is helping me reach that goal. Yeah. But now with um, uh, renting the way it is, trying to rent a place, especially in Tampa Bay, oh my gosh, I, you would throw up at the amount. Like I, I, it just is ridiculous. I mean, we're talking for a high school, we're talking at least $6,000 a month. And so then how do you do that? You know, um, how, do, how do you get that done? And so, and that's not going to be the same everywhere. I, I recognize the Midwest is going to be different. Uh, you know, it's probably gonna be a little cheaper in certain parts. Um, I thought it was going to be cheaper here in Florida. Nope. <laughs> you know, it was just as expensive as Oregon. And my thing is like, I, I'm not necessarily disenfranchised with it. I just think it's not accessible to everyone. And there are some very, very legitimate other ways to do church planting that is far less costly. Oh, I'll tell you what my mortgage is. is yeah. Yeah. It's not 6,000. Sure. Yeah. 
then all of a sudden you're trying to every, anything that goes wrong you're responsible for fixing i know of a church on our district who they were just trying to get into their next level of ministry and, and do this i think they were going to do a building project and they raised all this money through a capital campaign and then their ac went out their main building and there goes like three quarters of their capital campaign a setup teardown is still so so much cheaper and has mm-hmm. so much less overhead um, in the long run, because you don't have to think about any of that stuff. Um, it's oh, yeah. just, you know, if something goes wrong with that building, that's on the school or that's on the place that you're renting. Oh yeah. I hear you. Utilities, oh, yeah. boilers, roofing, parking lot. Uh-huh. Who's going to cut your grass? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. You, oh, yeah. you are. <laughs> I'm not, but. You know. <laughs> um, there's another podcast I was turned on to uh, called the city S, you know, mm-hmm. the C-I-T-Y is um, churches in the Y is literally what it stands for. And there's a whole church planting movement around planting churches in the Y. And, uh, and it's great. And there's, um, I'm hoping to get them on my podcast at some point to talk about the Y as a venue. It didn't work out for us. I really wanted to be in, in the Y right here in our area. And it didn't work out for us, the church back into it. It's, you know, yeah. the C back into the YMCA, you know, so yeah. um, it's a really cool, really, really cool movement that's going on right now. Yeah, it is. Yeah. When we started, they were, they were kind of like, eh. but in the last five, seven years, the Y has really been intentional about partnering with churches who want to plant and yeah. Yeah. Bringing that aspect back. So I'm, I'm glad to see that movement and all of you listening, if you want to plant a church in the Y. YMCA is a location to look into for sure. Yep. Uh, hey, any just words of encouragement for church planters or how about first time lead pastors? So I feel, you know, a little bit in that area. I, I feel like I still haven't been a lead pastor yet because I haven't really started pastoring a congregation. You know, I'm still just building the launch team in that phase. Um, so I'll, I'll speak to church planters specifically. If you're on the verge of maybe, you know, getting into it or you're thinking about it, you're feeling called to it, man, do it, <laughs> do it. We need you. The kingdom needs you. And I, I truly believe to, you know, I know that, you know, Bill Hybels has become problematic and, but I, prior <laughs> to my calling to the local church was his line about the local church is the hope of the world. And I, I believe that still, I believe the local church is part of bringing the kingdom of heaven on earth right here, right now. And uh, I'm passionate about the local church. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if I didn't believe in the local church. Uh, I believe that especially Wesleyan's Nazarenes, we've got a unique presence in the world today. There's people who are going to find peace and hope in your church, in your future church plant. And so stick with it. If you're in it, stick with it. A lot of what I go through is a lot of comparison and a lot of um, doubt, you know, that I am where I'm supposed to be. You are, you're where you're supposed to be. God has, has chosen you for such a time as this and just keep going. And it's going to, it's going to be okay. You know, um, I think that's, I think that's what I need to hear most days. And so, um, and if you want a community around you, whether you're Nazarene or not, come by, you know, our, our Facebook group, um, it's the Nazarene church planting podcast, Facebook group. And if you're planting a church, it's a great place to get some resources and some community and to meet some people who are doing something similar that you are. And it's just, man, just keep going, just, you know, and, and then if you're, if you're the pastor of a church, go find someone to plant, to help plant, find someone mm-hmm. to to send and partner or find a church plant to partner with. Um, I promise you it will revitalize your church. It'll be, it'll help revitalize your church. It might not do the, it might not do all the work, but it'll be a part of helping revitalize your congregation to help start something new. Um, it's important work. 
um, to be a part of planting. So if you're at an existing church, send. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you yeah. so much. And yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was a true blessing to be able to come on. So honored. Yeah.